Hello and welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris and I'm glad you are with me for another episode today as I tell you what it is really like to uh, operate e-commerce brands. Uh, I am the head of 4400, CEO of 4400, where we uh, are a holding company that acquires, operates, and grows e-commerce brands. On this intro in the past, I have told you we have five brands. We now have four brands. We have sold another brand, and this time, unlike the FC Goods story, it's not really good news. I've, we have offloaded Genuine K9, uh, and so what I'm going to do on this episode is tell you as, as honestly as possible about our failure in operating that brand, as far as I can tell what went wrong with it and what I would do differently if I could have it back over again. So if you've been listening to this show for a while, you might remember when we brought Genuine K9, uh, at the time it was called Genuine Callers, in as uh, I think it was the fourth um, of our brands at the time. We had sold FC Goods or, or something. Anyway, the point is there was a, 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 a string there of about six months where we sold FC Goods and brought on three new brands. Um, and... And that included Genuine Canine. And so we celebrated. This is, this is what the brand is. And, and we talked about what we saw in that brand. And at the core, what Genuine Colors was when it came to us and eventually became Genuine Canine, what it was was um, a brand that had, had gotten to about 100,000, 120,000 or whatever uh, in revenue at like a two and a half to three to one MER, depending on what months you were looking at based entirely on search and shopping. And the operator of that business had, had really kind of let it sit in the background um, and very purposefully done that. And so what we thought we could do was um, we saw the way that search volume was turning into revenue, saw a solid revenue per click off of search traffic and thought, okay, what this brand needs is really simple. It needs somebody who knows what they're doing to generate demand, probably with Facebook ads, to add on top of this um, the solid base of search traffic, we can validate that the search traffic is converting enough that we can um, do some stuff, clean up the brand, clean up the website, add, you know, kind of best practices around Facebook ads and that it would go really well. Well, um, that just didn't work. And, and what we found, and this is the really the core problem, is that we could never acquire customers profitably. So um, what we did, I mean, so we never really got, we got a little above 40 grand in revenue uh, in 2021. Um, so not, not with, you know, holiday last year was decent, more than that. But 40 grand revenue really at like a two to one or worse MER pretty consistently. And I think mostly worse than that, like 1.8-ish or whatever. So it really was never profitable. Um, and it always looked like it was fairly close. Like we could, we were getting there and, you know, you kind of add email, you add SMS, all of the things that you do in e-commerce, all the tactical stuff. Um, but it just never really got above there. So that's kind of big picture. What the problem was is we couldn't acquire customers profitably and therefore it could never, could never scale and could never produce revenue and just created a cash drag on four by 400. And that, um, created all kinds of problems. So, um, so what we did was, um, because it couldn't show any profit, the enterprise value was very low. We offloaded the brand. We actually sold it back to the manufacturer. Um, and that'll make a lot more sense in a second as to why we did that, really just for the cost of the inventory. So it was a total loss. And um, and I should just note here that it was my fault. <laughs> um, you know, this is where you can listen to shows like this and it, and, or you can go on Twitter and the one downside is everybody's always winning all the time and everybody who's smarter than you gets it right all the time. Um, and of course that's not true. 
Um, and so if you have listened to my show and thought that I was helpful to you, I just want to tell you what is very clear here is that, um, that, uh, Nobody has the Midas touch and people miss on stuff all the time. I was confident in the decisions I made at the time. I, Dave Recook, who is was the main person working on the brand, is a genius. Like he's a great, great marketer and so good. Um, when, if you go look at that website, you will see a beautifully designed brand that like that was good. That was um, Sadie Lewandowski designed that brand and she's excellent. And, and like it really is beautiful. I'll talk more about that in a minute too. Um, so there's all these elements um, of, of, Smart people working on that brand. Corey Rometta, the, the founder who sold to us and worked with us, he's a really smart guy. Like I, I still absolutely think that. So, um, so it it just isn't the case that everybody's always winning all the time. And um, and so I just want you to hear that that uh, it, it's really hard at times. And there's sometimes um, where you, you know you look retro, you look backwards, and you and you see like, oh my gosh, how did I how did I miss all of this stuff? And I I kick myself on this, but at the end of the day, um, I take responsibility for that because um, that miss was my fault, either in the acquisition or in not pushing on some of the marketing plans. Um, who knows where the problem was? It, it, maybe it was maybe it was all the way back to the acquisition thesis. Um, maybe maybe it was actually in the running of the brand. It's it's hard to say now. And and I'm gonna tell you in a second what I would do differently going forward. Um. But, there, but, but before I tell you that, you should hear this. We didn't make it work. So I might not be the right, um, the right authority on this, right? Because if I, if I knew, then I would have done it. Um, and, and so who knows? So all, the best I can do now is think, if I had it back over again and somebody gave me this brand, so whether or not it was a good idea to acquire, that's kind of its own question. Um, it could be interesting to explore as well. But, um, and, and today, I would think about that differently than I did at the time. You know, the, the 2021 iOS and supply chain apocalypse that we are living in in e-commerce um, is, uh, is, means I definitely would not acquire that brand right now. No question. Um, but, you know, I didn't know that at the time. So, again, don't beat myself up too much for that. In any case, um, the, uh, the, the point, yeah, uh, what, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought. Oh, yes. So, I'm going to tell you what I would do differently. Take it with a grain of salt. It may not have worked any way we did it. But now having thought about it and reflected on it and seen the way this did not work out for 4 out 400 um, what would I do if I could have it over again? Has been, it ha has been an interesting question to ask, okay? Um, so I'm going to go through four things that I would do differently, um, and, and maybe it'll be some help to you. Um, and underneath all of these four things, there's another thing I would say, which is that we were not getting to where we wanted to go, and therefore... We should have made larger changes faster. We were too incremental with a lot of the changes that we made. Um, so this kind of underlies everything that I'm about to say. It's not really something I would do differently so much as like a big picture foundational thing that I would do differently. When you're losing, the thing you don't want to do is keep doing that thing that you're doing over and over again, right? Uh, if you're losing, like I, I kind of kept felt, I, for a little while there, I felt like we could kind of incrementally get better and better and better. But... I let that go on for too long. For a while, that was a perfectly reasonable approach relative to where we were at, relative to what we had seen in the past. Um, but I let that go too long. So, so this is just baseline picture. If you're, if you're not close to where you need to be, you need to think about making bigger changes. Make smaller changes to get smaller incremental outcomes in places that are going to snowball over time. Like, for example, if you can reduce your churn by a few percent in your subscription program for your business... That doesn't sound like much, but actually that snowballs significantly over a long period of time, okay? So, so that's worth doing, right? Or if you, you, know, if you have 
sort of um, uh, value that will um, compound in any way. Anything where the value compounds to what you're doing, small changes make a big difference over time. Um, in this case, I wasn't necessarily seeing that in quite the same way. And so we should have made bigger changes sooner. So yeah, I hope that point's clear. Okay, so four things, four things I would have done. Number one, um, and this is, I, we actually did test this a little bit, but, um, but I would have dug into this more. I would have raised the price on the product significantly, significantly, okay? Would have raised the price on the product significantly. Um, I am looking right now at a spreadsheet of 13 different dog collar or 13 different brands that sell leather dog collars, uh, ranging in price from a bunch of them. Uh, well, I'm gonna just I'm just gonna actually read you. Um, I'm just gonna read you the prices of all of these brands, okay? Uh, and and so you can hear this, okay? So twenty. Uh, so at the low end, uh, twenty four dollars, thirty five dollars, sixteen dollars, sixteen dollars, fifty five dollars, twenty eight dollars, eighty seven dollars, seventy five dollars, eight dollars, thirty nine dollars, twenty two, forty, forty, okay? So that was the, that's, those are the low end of dog, like the entry level dog collar price for a lot of these brands. They price differently relative to, uh, relative to the size that you buy. So if you're buying a, you know, great Dane collar versus a Chihuahua collar, you're, you're paying more for more leather. Um, but that's the entry point for a lot of them. And some of them range really significantly like Dean and Tyler's entry point, $28 high end one ninety two forty. But that gives you a sense that this like this like forty dollar range or, or whatever it is, you know, sort of twenty five to forty dollar entry point is kind of where the market sits for this product, right? Um, there's just a couple of them that kind of start a little bit higher. Um, Hound Collection and Max Bone, and then, like I said, this this brand Dean and Tyler actually gets up pretty high and, and ranges a lot more. Okay, um, Genuine Canine for most of the time, the entry level dog collar, the like or entry level, I mean the low, the low, the small size dog collar was around thirty bucks, I think. Uh, and and um and so what I'm saying by that is that it is that thirty dollar collar was essentially the same as as everything else on the market, and this was always the danger with this product is that it wasn't different enough, it wasn't distinct enough. It's just a leather collar. It's just a really nice leather collar with brass hardware. It was beautiful, but it wasn't distinct enough. And here's why I think it's a problem. We designed the brand to stand out and to be different and to be a premium brand. If you go to genuineK9.com right now, you will see a design that is clearly, um, that clearly is uh, sort of uh, showing itself as a designer brand. The insignia, the GC insignia is built to look like, and this was, we had this conversation in the, in the design and branding process. And Sadie did, a, uh, my, my designer who did this, did a killer job on this. It's a beautiful website and a beautiful brand because of this, um, it's clearly designed to look like Coco Chanel or something like that. Like one of those high-end designer insignias. So that's the presentation. The problem is you can't like price. Part of the deal with price is signaling, right? So you're signaling value. It's not just about sort of like a rational, a rational relationship to your cogs. Uh, in fact, that's a pretty small, uh, a small part of price, uh, not a small part of price. It's, it's a significant part of price. But it's not about like, you know, an industry standard markup on something. Part of what you're doing when you are pricing is signaling value. So when I read to you that there's a dog collar brand that sells leather collars for $8, what do you think right now of uh, the quality that that brand is selling? I think you're probably assuming 
that it sucks. <laughs> that that eight dollar collar is not going to last you for very long. When you hear that there's another brand that sells uh, its ent- its low its smallest dog collar for eighty seven dollars. Whatever else you think, even if you think it's overpriced, you probably also think it's a good quality leather uh, collar. And in all of these ways, Genuine Canine tried to message being a high-quality collar, right? It's a single piece of thick leather instead of leather glued and stitched together like other leather is. It's full-grain steer hide. It's, it's true brass hardware that, that'll last. And this collar, you know, should last you the entire lifetime of your dog's life. Well... That's fine to say all of that and to and to put this like designer insignia on it. But if you then price right in the middle of the market, I mean, it's just not going to stand out in any meaningful way. This is this is just part of what pricing is and you need to recognize that. And so if we wanted to present a premium brand, we needed to price more premium, I think, and message more premium and just sh- just say to everybody, this is going to be the finest leather dog collar you could possibly put on your dog. Leather itself has a brand, by the way. Um, and I, in terms of, and we talked about this with FC Goods a long time ago, but the, you know, one of the first things that the new owner of FC Goods is they raise the price. And I, I think that makes sense. Leather is, people think of leather as high quality and durable. And, it, and on the upper end of products, they think of it as, um, I think, as uh, a, at some points, it's sort of like a premium crafting material that's going to it's going to last. Certainly in the dog collar world, if you're going from nylon, which is what most collars are made of, to leather, you are probably thinking you're getting an upgrade in materials, right? And so, um, so we needed to just signal that more with the price. But secondly, with the price, we actually, like, we're never, we just did not have the kind of gross margin we actually wanted to win. And uh, there's a lot I could say about how we calculated margin, why, that didn't work out because we actually targeted a certain margin and then there's all kinds of problems with that. But, um, but we really needed more margin and that would have made a big difference to us. I would have definitely traded some efficiency on the ad side. Well, I don't know. We didn't have any efficiency on the ad side to give, but the point is I would have really fought for efficiency on the ad side to get more, um, contribution margin per unit sold, uh, happening. We, we, we ended up with like 50 points of, of margin on the product by the time it was landed and that was all kinds of mess. If we wanted to maintain a brass, a tr- uh, uh, an actual brass, actual brass hardware on it, which is what we did, we needed to raise the price because brass hardware is more expensive than um, you know crappier metal, um, and uh, and and so on. So um, so yeah, so that that was a major part of the problem. I think was that we didn't have enough. We never had enough margin for us to win anyway, um, and. Uh, and then we also uh, didn't message what we needed to message. Okay, so there's that. Now, raise the price. I th- By the way, price is the most arbitrary thing that people do in e-commerce businesses. People are not thinking hard enough. You probably have not thought hard enough about your price. The, the, the issue of price elasticity is so important. Um, some prices really are less elastic than others. You can charge more money for your products and make more money. You can. Right now is a weird time to say that because you're probably already raising the price based on supply chain issues and some of those things. And and that's all part of the reality. But um, but I've heard this from other people. I've seen it myself. I've experienced it myself. Founders, entrepreneurs are so nervous that raising the price is going to generate a bunch of bad blood. It is not. It is not going to generate a bunch of bad blood. Not most times. Uh, be kind to your customers. If somebody says, hey, the price went up $10 today, uh, 
and I was going to buy it, but then I waited too long. Can I get the old price? Say yes. Sell them to them at the old price. Do what you need to do. Or even better, create an email that says the price is going to raise in a week. You should buy today. That's a way to provide a great offer to a customer without actually discounting your product. In fact, you're adding value to your your product. Um, They're going to feel like, oh my gosh, this is a more expensive thing and I'm getting it at a great deal. And so it's like a discount without giving a discount. That's a really great email to send. All right, so, um, so there's that price. Number two, clarity to metrics. This is so important. I didn't see, because of the challenge of running a bunch of brands at once, um, and this is something that's really underrated about this holding company model, um, because of running a bunch of brands at once, I did not see uh, how much worse our landed margin was than I had thought. So when I examined a PL towards the end of the process and realized, oh my gosh, what are we doing here? And that, that was a huge mistake by me of all people. Number one, by far, I'm the number one owner of this mistake. I did not push hard enough, especially because we were doing some assembly in our t- for our North, with our North Carolina um, facility. And some of that assembly was happening in ways where like you could really track the costs of that, with, particularly with like customization of nameplates and that sort of thing. Um, and I didn't have enough clarity to the metrics. If I would have had more clarity to the metrics earlier, I would have raised the price earlier because we needed to. We, like, forget even the brand considerations. We needed to do it for us for it to be viable at all. We needed to try and raise the price and then probably would have cut the brand three months earlier and saved ourselves a lot of lost cash if if I had realized at the time that um, that that, okay, we need to be able to charge this much. If that's not working, then... Like there wouldn't have been a discussion about whether or not we should raise the price. There wouldn't have been a test. It would have been the price is going up because that's the margin we need to have. If we can't win there, then the brand is done. Okay. So um, clarity to your metrics is so important. You can be losing money in ways that you don't even see. Um, So we were farther away from winning than I realized, which, which, which this is the important point. We are farther away from winning than I realized, which kept me from making as big of a change as I needed to make. Okay. So there's that. Get clarity to your metrics. Get clarity to your metrics. Number three, um, product development. This is something I talked about in a very recent episode, but um, we are seeing this now with Modern Fuel. One of the products that we just released is making a huge difference to the brand right away. Um, But product development is just so crucial. Um, uh, I would have, from day one, begun working with our manufacturer to develop products. Our manufacturer was willing to help us with this, to work on product development in some in some ways. I would have outlaid the cash right away to start doing this, to start adding to the product line. Here's what I've come to realize about a product like a collar um, that's like an accessory product, is that um, to win ultimately, especially on the LTV side, the only way you are going to win um, is by selling people new stuff that you are making. So you sell them the first thing, they experience at a high quality. They experience the quality that you are selling them. And by the way, customer reviews for Genuine Canine were very good. People loved the product. They really did. They said, "This is the finest collar I've ever gotten. My dog looks amazing in it." They they loved the aesthetic of it. They thought it was beautiful. They could tell that it was a quality um, constructed piece. Um, you know, the manufacturer we work with does awesome work. Same manufacturer as that was doing FC Goods for us. We know the quality that they do. So. Um, so, uh, so what we should have done is once we had done that, then we should have started working on other products right away, made sure they're high quality to say, oh, you love this collar from us. We need to get other stuff into your hands. So, um, the, the there's, uh, so the, for the LTV side, that would have been a couple things. I think more collars that were, um, that were like different designs and different colors, um, 
so that people could, maybe you could even sort of um, push people into like, you know, sort of dressing their dog differently. Like, uh, um, you know, fall colors. Could you do some sort of um, fall colors for that time of year? Could you do something Christmassy for people who really want to have little Christmas touches to their lives? Could you um, do some different designs, different, uh, different leathers, different, hey, here's a limited run of, I don't know, alligator leather. Like I'm, I don't know what the answer is now, but I would have started working on that very early with talented people to say, how do we do these and do limited runs and all that? Because from an LTV perspective, it was going to be important. We also talked about dog bandanas. I, I like the idea of actually creating a subscription around that where, you know, we send you a new dog bandana for 10 bucks every month or whatever it is. Like, I, you know, I don't know. I don't have the whole design of the program built out, but sort of a little L LTV boost underneath the rest of the brand we are trying in some way to make that happen. It's just so hard to win right now without LTV. You've got to have a you've got to have um, real organic growth happening um, to get there, and uh, and that's that's its own challenge. And so, I mean, ideally, of course, you get both. That's the that's how you get a super brand. But um, but you know, I would have been really trying to make make the brand produce some LTV via um, via product development. That would have been crucial to me. Um, on top of that, it's not just LTV. It's actually customer acquisition as well. Um, so I would have made a point of uh, developing harnesses right away. Many, if not most, dog owners that I see are walking their dogs with a harness, not a collar. So not having harnesses just means there's a huge portion of total addressable market that we are leaving on the table because people don't want to choke their dogs. I get it. Um, and we just we did we we had that product in development. And it was just too late. We just could not lay the cash to go make it happen. Um, I think that would have been a huge difference maker as well, so that we could have advertised with that product, uh, led with that product, acquired customers with that product, um, and therefore made every click more valuable. Um, and then uh, and then had a couple pipes going at the same time. So yeah, that would have been another element that I would have done right away. Product development. I would have been getting products out at least every month if I could. Um. So, okay, raise the price, clarity to metrics, product development, last. Uh, I would have seeded products a lot earlier, product seeding. Um, this is another thing where I think um, I'm just seeing the value of this. I've had Cody Wittick on the show a couple times to talk about kinship. I told you about the plan of 31 bits. We told you how it didn't work, why it didn't work. And I told you then that um, I'm to blame for why it didn't work, not Cody. And I really believe that. We have since then continued to promote... Um, We've continued to work on our product seeding, um, and immediately we're seeing some categories where this is really working. Some brands better than others, where um, where we are, people are excited about the product we are sending them, and they and they uh, want to show it to people, and they want to feature it, and and all those kinds of things. I would have made a big point right away. When you have a beautiful, high-value product, especially if you do raise the price on it, if I had an eighty-dollar dog collar, right? And I reached out to an influencer type or whatever and said, hey, I want to send you this collar, no questions asked. You're going to love it. Your dog's going to look great in it. Tell me the dog's size. Uh, tell me the color you want. I'm going to send it to you. And, you know, uh, you don't have to post. I just want you to get it in your hand. Um, this, is, this is no strings attached. The, 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 the kinship method um, of seeding. I think we could have gotten a bunch of really good content early, could have gotten in front of a bunch of dog owners. There are just so many dog accounts, Instagram accounts, that sort of thing, even if they're not huge, where you just get it in people's hands and uh, and you um, 
and, and you get content back. And I think that would have generated for us really good ad content plus some real organic um, interest in that community. Uh, it's, the organic interest in the community is like secondary to me in some ways. Um, but yeah, the, the, the um, just making a point of getting the content back, I think we would have gotten much better um, ad content and we would have gotten much more of it and it would have made a pretty big difference. So I would have made a big point there of just saying, like it's the kind of product that really works in seeding because it has value to people. So um, send that out, get content back, get clicks, get feedback on the product, get relationships going. Every time you have new products, start to build that group of people who are excited every time you send them something and go from there. I think I would have generated a bunch more content that way. Um, so raise the price, clarity to metrics, product development and seeding. I think maybe we could have seen a different outcome. Who knows? Who knows if I'm right, but that's what I would have done differently. And, uh, you know, you live and learn and we're, we're trying to apply that stuff to our other brands now. So, like I said, um, you know, you can't go back in time on this, but, uh, I, I do think we're applying these things now. Um, we are testing price aggressively for modern fuel. We're actually working with to test this in a more, um, like in a, in a, we're actually split testing some stuff and, and seeing how that's going to work. Um, we are implementing our ERP to get better through our metrics. We are um, making product development a huge part of both Amber and Modern Fuel in particular. Um, and we are seeding products actively for other brands. So, um, you know, the downside is we lost a bunch of money on Genuine Canine. There's just no two ways about that. The upside is we paid a bunch of money to get a bunch of knowledge and learn a lot more. You know, the, the world of e-commerce has changed since I came to 4 for 100 um, and I have learned a lot in that time. And these are the kinds of things that, that go into running a brand that when you come from just the ad side, the paid media side, it all looks so easy, but it's actually really hard. And this is the way you learn these lessons. So um, for me, this is all stuff where I go, I can't go back now. The best I can do is try to um, reduce costs where I can in our business, um, do our best with the next ones and go from there. So hopefully this has been some help to you along those same lines. Um, I mentioned Kinship in this show. I will make a point of linking Kinship back in the show notes so you can see if you want to, um, you know, I've, I've done a couple episodes with Cody, like I said. Go back and listen to those. If you're interested in the seeding plan, um, you should go talk with them. They have a really cool way of doing it. Uh, otherwise, thanks for listening. Uh, share, as always, with somebody on your team who you think, um, or a friend, another entrepreneur who, uh, with, with whom you think this will be helpful. We always appreciate that a lot. Rate and review. And you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew J. Ferris. That's a good place to interact. I'd also love to hear from you. Podcast at 4x400.com. Please let me know your thoughts. Thanks very much. <laughs>